It's the Law and Business Podcast, hosted by me, Anthony Verna. We help your business understand its legal obligations better. My practice focuses on trademark, copyright, intellectual property, and advertising information law. Contact me at anthony at vernalaw.com. Welcome to the Law and Business Podcast. I'm here with Jay Thorne, fantasy, dark fantasy horror writer, and that's basically the same genre, correct? Uh, pretty much. All right. Because I remember Philip K. Dick once said that science fiction and fantasy are the same uh, same genre as well. And as you know, uh, my law practice is intellectual property, so we like to protect... Well, we can't protect ideas, but we, we like to protect the expression of the idea, and we effectively protect inspiration. So, so let's start with uh, where your inspiration comes from. Sure. Um, in, inspiration is it's really kind of hard to describe. Uh, I think like a lot of artists, I feel compelled to create, and uh, uh, for better or worse, um, <laughs> Sometimes that that compulsion is out of your control. So I, I think I'm sort of inspired by uh, just life in general, and I'm I'm compelled to kind of uh, to tell stories. And and so the uh, you know the inspiration could be as something as complex as a as a major life event, or it could be as something as simple as a a stroll through the woods. Uh, it's really it's really sort of unpredictable, but it's also exciting at the same time. So, what are some? Let's talk about a, a little life event, something daily that that insp- that has inspired you in the past. Sure. Uh, have you ever have you ever uh, woken up at night and you're not really sure what woke you up? Of course. Yeah. Well, that's that's a perfect example. And being a, a horror dark fantasy writer. You can imagine the depths to which you could take that experience. Uh, most of us, most of the time, will you know roll back over and go to sleep, or go get a drink of water, or or look out the window. Uh, but you could take that one little moment, that everyday moment that we all have, and you could really turn that into into something else. And and how about something more grandiose that 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 has inspired you? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a parent and I, and I, I have two children and I think that experience, uh, not, a, not a specific experience, but just being a parent, I think fundamentally changes your outlook and, and it's not, not in a judgmental way. I'm not, um, uh, not suggesting that. I just think it, it really alters the way you view the world. And so I think that having, having children has, uh, that's a pretty significant life change, and I think that's kind of uh, I can draw inspiration from that as well. So, so taking your inspiration, putting it down on paper, this is uh, this is what you do. This is your career, correct? Yes. So, how did you how did you take this from? I, I hate to use the phrase hobby, but but as they say, if you don't make money, it's it's a hobby. How did you take this from <laughs> hobby to you know career? Well, uh, it's not a it's not a straight line, and it's not a clear, very clear line either. Is, is it ever uh, a straight line? No, no, <laughs> it's never. <laughs> it's never what you plan, right? It's never what you set out to do. Uh, 
I consider myself more of an entrepreneur than I do a writer, and I say that because I I do write, but I don't. There's this quote unquote full time writer uh, persona that I I think a lot of people who are authors and and outside of the of writing uh, they they have this they have this sort of fantasy in your head that that means you. You sit in a cabin in the woods with a you know a cup of coffee and a computer and or, and you or, or these eat. days you sit at Starbucks with a cup of coffee right yeah whatever you know whatever your personal preference is right and you sit there and you and you craft the great American novel uh, and then you fly off and you t- you know vacation with your family on your private Caribbean island and like that's just not the reality for ninety nine point nine percent of writers so I have. I do consulting work. I do technical writing. Uh, so yes, writing fiction is a career, but it's not my only revenue stream. And so I have to be, uh, I have to be pretty nimble in this market, and I have to take advantage of opportunities, and I have to use my strengths as an independent author uh, in moving fast. Uh, so you know, how does how does that how does that look? What's the straight line? I think. The biggest distinction between what you might consider a hobbyist or, a, or sort of just a uh, you know a person that's writing for their own fulfillment is I, at some point you have to step back and you have to look at your art as a product. And and let, let's talk about being nimble because I think that's a very key uh, component that that you just hit on. Because on one hand, uh, when you're when you're writing for yourself. And and however we define that, it's very different than being a technical writer where somebody else maybe has given you instructions or has given you a previous uh, manual version or something to that effect that you need to base your new product off of. And also, that's not yours. Yes. So so how does your mindset differ? Uh, I think you have to pay close attention to what is happening in the in the world of publishing and you have to be willing to take a little bit of a risk. Uh, I know personally know some great authors who are, are risk averse and it, there's nothing wrong with that. I think we all have our own sort of comfort level but Absolutely. being nimble is, is sort of a it's a it's a nice way of saying you, you're gonna have to put your neck on the line and you're gonna have to take some risks and most of the time they're not going to pay off. Uh, so, you know, being nimble for me, I'll give you an example. In around this time last year, I started to notice on Amazon uh, there were these multi-author box sets that were appearing. And and for the you know for the layperson, it's basically if you go on Amazon and you you browse in the Kindle store, authors were getting together, say five, six, seven, eight, even as many as twelve of them. And they were putting all of their individual novels into one collection. And so you as the reader could buy that single collection and inside it you would get, you know, ten different novels from ten different authors. And this was not a new idea, but I noticed that around this time last year there were more and more of those were appearing and they were doing really well in rankings and in reviews. Uh, and within about two weeks of making that observation, I had a, a box set up for sale. And so that's that's what I mean by being nimble. If I had been with a traditional publisher, well, first of all, traditional publishers probably wouldn't permit their authors to be included in a box set like that. But even like a you know a smaller publisher or an independent press, 
you know, you're probably looking at six to nine months turnaround time if it's being organized by, by a, a small press. And by that time, that opportunity may have long passed. Right. <laughs> so by being nimble and taking a risk, taking a chance, I was able to get into that game right away. And and when you when you take one of your one of your writings and you put it in a box set with three or four other authors, you're in a way acting as if it's a a reading co-op, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> but but each um, you know fans of each author can easily you know can easily discover not just a new work by that author, but but new works by other authors that they may also like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. Uh, the, these box sets got a lot of traction because we priced them at 99 cents. And clearly there's an argument, and I think it's a valid argument, uh, that says, wow, you know, you're really devaluing your work. You're, you know, you're putting out seven or eight novels, and you're basically charging 10 cents a piece. Uh, and I never really saw it that way. In fact, I, I saw the box sets as advertising that paid me. Uh, so the idea was... Uh, I could get my work in front of not only other readers, but other readers of the same genre. And that, that's really important. So these box sets were not sort of randomly themed box sets. They were, they were genre box sets. So uh, I know that readers who like Scott Nicholson's work are going to like my work and vice versa. Uh, and so we sold, uh, and we still are, we're selling a good deal of these. And it's not making us a ton of money because we're – you know, we're at the 35% royalty rate, so on a 99-cent box set, eight authors are splitting 35 cents. Right. But we're selling a bunch, um, and we're selling enough that we're making a little bit of money, and it's so that's how I kind of see it as advertising that's paying me. I really don't see it as devaluing the work because it's even a step up than, say, giving your book away for free. If you're using a KDP Select free day or it's you're making your book freely available, you're getting no financial compensation for it at least we're getting something and we're getting our word you know our words out to new readers and at at that particular point are you finding that people who bought the box set are coming back well there's some there's a few interesting things that are happening and i'm basing this just on the reviews for the box sets i don't i don't have a, a real nice data set to back this up but what i'm hearing and what i'm seeing on the reviews are two things uh, Glenn James and I, who were sort of spearheading the, the box sets, uh, we, we kind of branded them a certain way. So the, the biggest series is called This is the End, and there's three versions of that. And there are some authors that are in, in some and not in others, but they're, they're branded. If you put them all next to each other, they look like they, they, look like they belong together. So we're starting, we, we saw readers who bought the first collection and then bought the second and bought the third. We're also seeing reviewers uh, saying that uh, they bought, um, they went and bought uh, the author's other books that, from the free from the one that was included in that box set. Okay. So, for example, I have uh, I put book one of a series into these box sets, and I'm seeing reviewers saying that they're going and buying books two books and three. Two and that, three. Yeah. It, it, so, so in a way, it's it's not quite a free preview. But but in a in a very big way, it is a preview of of one particular series. In most cases, yes. the The novels that are inside the box sets are either standalones or they're book one in a series. And so that's the idea: is you give the reader for for a dollar, you give the reader a full novel, you know, and there's seven or eight of them in there, and they get 
to taste. You know, they get a little bit of taste, but but it's not a sample. It's a full novel. Right. So, um, I I think it's I think it's the best of both worlds. And I, I'm curious if you've ever uh, seen any of your work elsewhere that that might be unauthorized. <laughs> As a matter of fact. I have. <laughs> and and, and uh, how, how are your views on that? Because I have a feeling your views are not the traditional view. And the traditional view is, well, it's it's not it, – I didn't authorize it, so I, I have to pull it away. I have to lock it down. I, also, I have a feeling that view is changing in general. I think it is, and I think I'm somewhere in the middle on that. Um, I, I – this this sort of concept has been talked about a lot, and I don't know who to attribute it to. But there's the idea is that uh, you know obscurity is worse than piracy. Uh, <laughs> you know if if you're not being read at all, that's worse than someone feeling as though your work is valued enough to to steal it. <laughs> uh, I guess you know for me, um, seeing my work on a pirated uh, on a pirate site and it's someone that's making it available for free. Um, you know, I, I'm probably going to request that be removed, but I'm not necessarily going to go full bore at, at that. Um, I think for me, and, and this hasn't been the case and I hope it isn't, I think I would be really upset if I somehow found one of my novels that was had a different cover on it and a different author name and a different title, but it was my book. Uh, that would really, really concern me because that is uh, that's that's different than sort of pirating one of my existing books or giving it away for free. Is that because intellectually there's something more dishonest about it? It feels that way to me, and and you know I think everyone has their own sort of threshold on on that. But yeah, I would feel like if it's my intellectual property and someone is passing it off as their own, to me that feels worse than someone giving away one of my books for free when I'm trying to sell it. I can I can understand that completely. So, getting back to to the the entrepreneur in you, yes. What else What else do you do to get the word out of of who you are? Because on one hand, uh, I think a lot of people believe that an author right just sits there and writes, and then stuff comes in. But but in your particular case, because you're not backed by a, a big publishing house and, and there's, your, there's your, your give and take with a big publishing house, but you need to get the word out there on, on who you are. Yes. So how do you do that? Well, the, the only way you can do that well is, is to just have a lot of content. Uh, the more books you have, the more titles you have available, the, the greater chance of someone finding you and the greater chance that if they like one of your titles, they're going to go and read more. Uh, I think it's a pretty common understanding that readers read authors, they don't read books. Uh, and I don't know if that's true for a lot of art forms, but it is for books. So I, it's, it's, it's completely plausible for a reader who discovers a new author to, and, and they read a book and they like it to go and, and read the entire catalog. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely in your best interest, uh, especially with fiction, to have as many titles out there as you possibly can. So it works as sort of a net to, to get new readers, and it also helps to build royalties once someone's sort of caught in that net, for lack of a right. better analogy. Uh, as far as getting the word, like I think getting the word out, like that's the million-dollar question, right? I mean, we're all screaming into this <laughs> in, insane sea of social media, and we're all trying to be 
heard and noticed and and that's really that's like that's the million dollar question for for everyone and i think the go to for a lot of authors for a lot of people is well clearly social media right like i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to get a million followers and i'm going to i'm going to get a you know a thousand likes on my facebook page and then all of a sudden people are going to start buying all my stuff and uh i don't think i ever believed that completely and now i feel like i've completely discarded that idea uh, I'm on social media now strictly to interact and engage with people. I rarely post stuff about my books. I rarely tweet sales links. Um, there's just no, first of all, there's no evidence. There's no strong evidence that supports the fact that if you see a tweet with a book link in it, you're going to buy it. Um, I mean, you're talking like less than 1% of the time that happens. Uh, and now there's even some, you know, there's some pushback on that. I think people are more you know they're they're more skeptical of messages coming on social media that are selling they want to be informed or they want to be entertained they don't want to be pitched to necessarily i've certainly had that and and i know it's anecdotal more than of course scientific but i've certainly had people say to me twitter was a lot better when when we didn't have everybody needing to sell sell something on it yes yes yeah, so that's, you know, so I think you, you know, you talked about sort of having an entrepreneurial spirit or or how do you get the word out in a way that is new or innovative or different. Um, the biggest thing you can do, I think, is just kind of be yourself. Um, and and I know it sounds hokey, but I think you, you kinda, your tribe kind of finds you. Uh, but you have to be authentic about it. So I'll give you an example. Uh in, I guess, May, I started uh, the Horror Writers Podcast, and about uh, two months ago, I brought on a co-host, and, and you know, we're, we're doing our podcast weekly now. Um, it costs us money. It costs us time. Um, there's absolutely no correlation between having a podcast and selling books, <laughs> but what it does is it lets people know I'm here and I'm I, I like to think we're offering a service you know we're entertaining we're informing um, and eventually you know over time uh, maybe that sets me apart maybe it doesn't I don't know but um, I think those are and I'm not saying everyone needs to start a podcast but I think you need to kind of find other ways to kind of to kind of give sure. uh, and or entertain or inform and then that that will come back and help you Especially, I think, in your genre. I think a lot of people believe that the uh, science fiction, fantasy, and horror writers out there do nothing but, you know, sit in a cave and, and are hermits. And, <laughs> and you know, and it's, and it's not really true. You know, for example, Ray Bradbury was on an episode of, of You Bet Your Life, and you can probably – you can find it on Hulu and Netflix, and I'm sure it's up on YouTube you know, illegally somewhere. <laughs> and, and it's, it's hysterical to see Groucho Marx talk with Ray Bradbury, who, you know, is like, yeah, well, I met my wife. How'd you meet your wife? Well, I was at the bookstore, like, duh, Ray Bradbury, an author went to the bookstore and, and turns out she knew my books. And then Groucho Marx was like, well, that must've been very, you know, you know, that must've been very, very, uh, uh, simple and easy. You get to talk about yourself to this woman, <laughs> you know. And and in a way, I, I would, I guess, as you're right, it's hokey. Be yourself. It sounds very Disney-like, especially from a horror <laughs> author. But it it really shows that that yeah, you're not a hermit. You're not coming through as as somebody who's disassociated with with life, which I think is is a stereotype in your particular genre. 
Yeah, uh, uh, I was I was on Joanna Penn's podcast a few weeks ago, and she said, you know, I have to ask you the question I always get asked, which is, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> and, and, and what she meant by that, and I totally got it, was, you know, uh, I think people believe horror writers, you know, they uh, they do live in a dungeon and they're sacrificing goats, you know, <laughs> at every vernal equinox and like, you know, it we're, we're just we're, we're regular people. We have the, you know, we we have mortgages and families and and things like that. And so I think it's in the one great way to use social media is to is to let that shine through and just be authentic. And there, you know, there are some days, there there are some weeks where I don't tweet at all and there are some you know, there are some weeks where I'll be I'll tweet every day, but it's it's not like a, it's it's not a marketing plan. It's just you know I'm there and I do it when I feel it. I do it when I don't. I don't. And and I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook primarily. I have I have a, a, a Pinterest account. I I'm not there very much. I'm not I don't have much of a presence on Google Plus. Um, I'm just not you know I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to spread myself out just because I think that's what I have to do. You know, it's it's funny you mention that because our firm actually has a Pinterest account, and it was kind of one of those shots in the dark that um, I've certainly shied away from, you know, putting a lot of effort into because um, how many times can I take a picture of something and say, hey, that's a really good advertisement, and there's not much more I can say because that would be, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, ethically, <laughs> ethically not not right to keep commenting about other people's advertisements or trademarks or, or, or whatever. So, <laughs> so there are times when one social media avenue isn't particular isn't particularly correct from a business standpoint. Right. Right, Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, got a great book on that. Uh, the jab, 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 right hook. Uh, he 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 does a really good job of sort of explaining what the pros and cons of the different different social media platforms are. Um, the book is already a little bit dated, but it gives you a good understanding of of who is on Facebook and who is on Twitter and and what industries would benefit from which social media platforms. Like, you know, Pinterest is. Is probably and if I were a graphic artist, uh, I would be all over Pinterest. But um, it's not as well suited to someone that creates, you know, puts sentences together for a living. So, <laughs> you know, you just kind of have to really you got to find. First of all, you got to like it, and it's got to be the audience that you're that you're looking for. Sure. Uh, so, for what's coming up for 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 you is it is it just at this point you have your business plan which is part of it is podcast uh, it's it's not really social media but however you get the word out there is it lather rinse repeat at this point for you or is it still evolving is it still changing is it still um, you know finding something new to get the word out there yeah, I think it has to be always be evolving. Um, things are changing so quickly, not only in this industry but in our world, especially around technology. Uh, you can't do the you can't do the same things you did two years ago. Uh, I mean, some of the things you can, but you can't have the same same approach, and you can't just you, you can't just re, rehash the same thing because things change. So. I don't know if the you know the podcast is not really part of a marketing plan. I'm doing that because I'm having a good time with it right <laughs> now. Uh, and I told Richard Brown, my my co-host, I said, you know what, we'll do this while it's fun. And if it's not fun, we're not going to do it. It's fun right now. 
Um, but it, it may not, if it becomes a chore or a task, I'm not going to do it just because I feel like it's a good marketing technique. Uh, I think for me right now, I've, I've sort of established a, a nice back catalog. I have, I know, I, I, I should know this better, but I, I think I have like six or seven full novels, maybe eight full novels and short stories and different titles out there. And, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm continually writing my own stuff and really through the rest of 2014 and into 2015, my focus is really going to be on collaboration. Uh, so I started a really big collaboration and finished that, uh, The Black Fang Betrayal. And that was with 10 authors. But now what I'm looking to do is to co-write a lot of stuff. So I'm already pairing up with some other authors in different ways and different genres. And that's how I'm looking to grow and to build. And, uh, and when you pair up or when you collaborate, you, you amplify your ability to market and you cut down the amount of time it takes to produce content. So everybody wins in that situation. So when, when you're collaborating, is it always uh, set out as a 50-50 split or, or with 10 authors, a, you know, one out of 10 split? Or how, how does that, how, how does your effort into writing get divided? Yeah, I think it's going to be a case-by-case -case basis. Um, for, the, for the Black Fang Betrayal, that was something, uh, I mean, that was something I organized because I was really passionate about it. And I wanted to prove to myself I could do it. But I didn't feel like I was entitled to any kind of special compensation for that. So there are 10 authors in that, and we all get 10% of whatever we make on it. Um, I have some other co-writing projects in the line that will be a straight-up 50-50 split. Uh, I have others that I'm not really sure yet. Um, I think, I think it will be, really, be really individualized, but I would say the most common arrangement would be a 50-50 split. That makes Absolutely perfect sense. <laughs> well, keeping keeping it simple so makes makes business grow a little better as well, right? Yeah, and I, you know, part of what I want to do, um, I, I'm sort of looking to collaborate in two ways. I I want to collaborate with writers who I look up to, who I admire, who I've been reading, because I want to learn from them. You you always want to learn from from people who do things better than you do. So I, you know, I'm always looking to improve. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work with authors who I perceive to be, you know, really stellar and really at the at top of their game. At the same time, uh, I know how hard it is. And, and so what I'm also looking to do is work with aspiring writers, writers who don't really have a platform yet, but are really great wordsmiths who have a passion, who have a desire, they're motivated. Uh, and so I'm looking to partner with those types of people as well. So um, it just really depends on the situation. And I think every co-writing opportunity might be slightly different. But my approach is the more I can work with other people, the better writer I become. And it, how does that, again, going back to the fact that this is a business, how does the co-writing affect uh, the sales? Have you seen the, you know, more sale, you know, more sales growth in, in whatever you have written? Yeah, I, I think that's uh, time will tell on that. I I have seen co-writing situations really work for other people, and I have no reason to believe it won't work for me. But I I don't I'm not far along enough yet that I have uh, any any titles out except that that one ten author co-written piece. So I don't I don't have a lot of data to support that. But even in that, I've I've noticed um, because there are ten authors involved in it. I'm gaining new readers, and 
in whatever correspondence I have with them, whether they sign up for my mailing list or they leave a comment up for me on Facebook, I'm sort of de detecting where they're coming from. And I'm noticing that they're coming from some of the readership of these other authors, which is great. No, that, that, that is wonderful. It's a win for everybody. Yes. And how was the Black Fang written? Was it, uh, did everybody have a chapter? Did you, um, did you have an outline and, and, and people started filling in the outline? How, how did you split the work between 10 authors? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, <laughs> and it, it took, <laughs> it took uh, several sort of iterations for me to kind of figure out how it was going to work. Uh, the original concept was we were going to do like a parlor game where uh, someone wrote a piece and they handed it off to the next person and they picked it up and then that person wrote the next piece. And that was the original plan, but then we realized to create a novel in that way, the person at the end of the line <laughs> would almost have to read an entire book before they could even write their piece. And just like logistically, it would have taken a long time, and I'm not sure we could have pulled it off. So when, that, when, we, when I had that realization, what I decided was to craft a story that allowed each writer to write a piece and allow me to kind of stitch it together in a way that was compelling and made sense. And so that was the approach. Uh, each author received a uh, not really a prompt, but sort of a scenario. And so I told them, you know, here's the city that you're writing in. Here's your character. Here's what your character wants. And, and here's kind of how it has to end in a, in a loose kind of way. And then they could fill in everything else. So I, they did have some structure, but it wasn't uh, a real strict outline either. And, and were there any points of disagreement maybe in the structure or in the plot? Um, I, no, I don't think so. I was pretty transparent in the process. And, and what I did uh, before I sent them their prompts or their assignments, I wrote the beginning and the end. And so I said, here's how it's going to start and here's how it's going to end and here's how your piece is going to fit in. And I took some feedback and I changed some things. So they all knew sort of the overall story arc. Now, what did happen uh, over the course of the collaboration is a few people dropped out and a few people were added. And they were just normal life circumstances. Like, they're, I wish I had some juicy drama on it, but there really <laughs> wasn't any. You know, uh, I think one writer realized early on that it was a sort of heading in a genre that he wasn't really comfortable with and it was going to be hard for him to write in that. And I totally get it. Uh, and someone else had a life situation that came up and they, you know, they had to back out. So... Those kinds of things happen, but there wasn't anyone that there wasn't sort of any, you know, gnashing of teeth or anything like that. <laughs> no, that's that, it's good when a collaboration. Whoops, it's good when a collaboration can uh, can come together. Yeah, and honestly, it probably shouldn't. Ha like on paper, it looks it should look like a train wreck. So I'm really happy that it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 Jay, I'll let you plug away uh, before we we run. Where you know where are you ranked um, in in terms of uh, horror sales? You know, um, I've been as high as five. I was at five in March. Um, the most of the summer, I've been kind of hovering in the in the the fir on the first page somewhere ten to fifteen. I think. I think now I'm, I'm in the 20s somewhere. I kind of, you know, sales fluctuate. You have these peaks and valleys. I try, um, I try not to pay too much attention to that. I mean, clearly it's, it's nice because those rankings are based on sales. And I think that's different than winning awards or contests, which are very subjective. I, I like the idea of sales determining that rank. So um, I, I'm proud of that. But at the same time, I try not to focus on it too much because 
I'm I'm kind of neurotic, and once you go down that dark hole of like checking your ranking or checking your sales a couple times a day, <laughs> it's not healthy. <laughs> so I so I, I'm very pleased with wherever I am right now. Uh, you know, I'm getting some some visibility. I'm getting new readers every day, and I'm very thankful for that. All right, Jay. Thanks very much for uh, for coming on. And how can everybody find you? Easiest thing to do is just go to jthorn.net, and you can find everything I do through that. All right. Wonderful. Jay, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Anthony. All right. I'll talk to you later.